This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. There are sports fans, and then there are sports fanatics. You can tell if someone's a sports fan by their tempered enthusiasm for the game and the players. The food and drinks, and the excitement when their team scores, are what it's all about for the everyday fan. You can usually tell if someone's a sports fanatic by what they're wearing. For the fanatic, being a human billboard for their favorite team is typical. Often decked out in team apparel and gear from head to beer cozy, sports fanatics will be the ones wearing the face and body paint in various team colors. Perhaps the most telling sign that someone's a sports fanatic is their behavior. They're the ones dancing, screaming, crying, and jumping with every play. In short, they're a spectacle. Chances are you've seen one or two of these over-the-top enthusiasts at a game, and that's the whole point to see them. While the typical sports fan is happy to blend in with the crowd, maybe participate in the occasional wave that goes around the stadium, the fanatic is all about the attention. If they're not standing out, they're not a proper sports fanatic. It's about the performance, and like any good act, practice and perseverance, along with an outlandish costume, can make the difference between the forgotten fanatic and the living legend. Such is the story of a character known as Rainbow Man. This story, however, isn't about the love of the game or a superfan inspiring a crowd to their feet. In fact, Rainbow Man, who was possibly the most televised sports fanatic in history, actually hated sports. Yet he spent over a decade attending countless sporting events across the US and around the world. Wearing his unmistakable multicolored Afro-style wig, Rainbow Man danced his way onto network cameras at major events like the World Series, the Super Bowl, the Olympics, the Indy 500, the Masters, the Kentucky Derby, playoffs, the World Cup, boxing match, Winter Olympics, All-Star Games. For years, the wig-wearing attention addict seemed to be everywhere, even making appearances at Miss America pageants and the wedding of Prince Charles and Diana. Yet, curiously, the six-foot-one-inch-tall gyrating spectacle wasn't exactly a social person. The highly recognizable sideshow entertainer actually wasn't there to entertain at all. Rainbow Man was there to deliver a message to the world, a dark warning that would end up costing him his freedom. My name is Eric Crosby. Welcome to True. Roland Stewart was born in February 1944 in Spokane, Washington. His father was a car salesman who died when Roland was just 10, after years of alcohol abuse. His mother, also an alcoholic, died in a fire years later. Adding to his already troubled youth, his sister was murdered when he was in his early 20s, strangled by her boyfriend. A maladjusted young man, 
Roland married his high school girlfriend when he was just 19. This would be the first of four unsuccessful marriage attempts. When the first marriage failed, he retreated to the solitude of the mountains to regroup. To Roland Stewart, regrouping meant smoking a lot of weed and watching a lot of television. The unemployed recluse started a marijuana farm, attempted to grow the world's longest beard, and was content to sit back and consider his future. It took time and careful thought, but eventually he landed on a goal. It was a decision that would see him embark on an epic nautical adventure. He made up his mind to sail around the world, on his waterbed. He was mostly kind of serious, too. The idea was eventually abandoned for some reason. However, Roland did use a portion of a $50,000 inheritance to satisfy his need for speed. He had enjoyed riding a snowmobile while living in the mountains, so he figured he'd up the game a little and joined the local drag racing circuit. He spent the rest of his inheritance opening a motorcycle parts store and, for the better part of a decade, lived in a pot-induced cloud of pseudo-reality. When he emerged from his vegetative vacation seven years later, Roland Stewart knew exactly what he wanted to do with his life. The self-described very quiet and shy stoner decided it was time to come out of his shell. After so many years on his own, he was now craving something more than munchies. What he needed was some good old-fashioned attention. He wanted to be famous, and if seven straight years of watching television full-time taught him anything, it was that being on TV was the best way to get there. He packed up a few belongings, sold everything else, and headed to where he was certain fame would find him, Hollywood, California. While it was common for men to keep their sideburns long and their mustaches thick, Roland Stewart spent the previous years cultivating what can only be described as a Yosemite Sam-inspired mustache and beard. It was something to behold, and he was sure this, in the absence of any acting skills, would set him apart at Hollywood casting calls. Ultimately, though, his acting career fell short of his high expectations. With no work and desperate to keep his show business dream alive, he needed to figure out his next move. Roland went into a deep marijuana meditation and once again emerged with a simple yet powerful idea. He didn't need Hollywood to get onto people's television screens. He just needed cameras. The kind of cameras that broadcast to the millions of viewers at home. The kind of cameras, for example, found all over big sporting events. Roland's plan was to go viral by showing up to as many televised events as possible. 30 years before the world became addicted to cats playing piano videos, Roland Stewart was a true pioneer. Like every aspiring video personality, he just needed a gimmick, something that would get him noticed by all those cameras. Inspiration would come to him during a trip to New Orleans. He was there in 1976 for the annual Mardi Gras festival, and it's where he says a vision came to him. The character he pictured so clearly was a dancing, fun-loving crowd-pleaser he would call Rockin' Rollin'. For reasons unknown, he decided that his character would also be mostly naked. A fur loincloth would make up the majority of the outfit. His impressively ridiculous beard added nicely to the overall spectacle he was creating. But there was still something missing. 
something that would make the look fun and less creepy. That came in the form of an eye-catching multicolored Afro-style wig. By the 1977 NBA Finals, Rock and Rollin' Stewart was ready for his debut. As cameras rolled at the highly televised basketball game, Roland did everything he could to get the cameras to notice him. It wasn't difficult. With the loincloth securely fastened, he danced, wiggled, and waved his arms wildly for the crowd. The sight was nothing short of mesmerizing, but more importantly, it was clear that the crowd loved it. The excited crowd caught the attention of the cameras, and for a moment, just as he planned, he was on national television. To Roland, the stunt was a complete success. He had found his mission. For the next three years, Rock and Roland Stewart crisscrossed the country, performing his frenetic routine to delighted crowds at hundreds of televised events. He had become a fixture within the world of sports and a popular attraction with the crowds. The sports teams may have had their own mascots, but Rock and Roland was a mascot of the fans. Always wearing the large, colorful wig, they started calling him Rainbow Man. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. On the road, Roland Stewart started following the pro golf tour, his unmistakable wig popping up above the crowd at dozens of televised tournaments. When he knew the cameras were on him, he would break into a dance, put on a big smile, and give the okay sign or thumbs up. However, while the crowds and cameras may have found his appearances amusing, network officials were growing impatient with the constant visual distraction. By the time he appeared at the 1979 Major League All-Star Game, networks were taking steps to avoid giving him coverage. But no matter where they pointed their cameras, he was there. How was he doing it? How was he always able to get in the shot? It turns out Rainbow Man had a secret strategy to stay one step ahead of the cameras. I carry a monitor with me. I carry a little portable battery TV so I can direct myself when I'm there. His outlandish behavior didn't go over so well when he tried it at the 1980 Summer Olympics in the former Soviet Union. Soviet security agents were understandably confused when they saw Rainbow Man gyrating in front of the International Press Center. He was taken into custody, thrown in jail, and released a short time later. 
His appearance at the 1984 Winter Olympics in former Yugoslavia may have also started with some curious looks, but this time there was no interference by authorities. Going from event to event became Roland Stewart's full-time job. He was living out of his car, using what money he had to buy premium seats at major games. Behind home plate or the backboard, next to the goalpost or just behind the finish line, he knew that's exactly where the cameras usually went, so that's where he would be. His continued efforts paid off when he landed a spot in a beer commercial. The television ad paid a small residual, which helped him cover his minimal expenses. After a couple of years of following his simple plan, it was all coming together for the hardworking showman. But when he left the 1980 Super Bowl after another successful performance, Roland didn't feel the same electricity that had been keeping him going. He said that as he left the stadium, a feeling of sadness overwhelmed him. He had come to the realization that the cameras weren't following him, they were following his bizarre alter ego. His pseudo-celebrity had left him feeling empty. It was the shallowness, he said. Apparently, no one had seen him for the person he really was underneath the rainbow wig and loincloth. That evening, depressed and disillusioned, Roland went back to his hotel room and turned on the television. Flipping through channels, he came upon an evangelical show called Today in Bible Prophecy. He listened closely as the preacher went on about the impending end of the world. The doomsday sentiment aligned perfectly with Roland's mood. It was time for him to make some serious decisions. He needed to think clearly, so of course he smoked a ton of weed. But somewhere in the haze, he had an epiphany. Two weeks later, he became a born-again Christian. His new mission was uncomplicated. He would use whatever celebrity he had to bring the gospel to the masses. And that's what he did. The pot-smoking born-again Christian didn't change his Rainbow Man costume much. He kept the multicolored wig, but traded in the fur loincloth for a pair of pants. And instead of going shirtless, he started wearing t-shirts. Aside from the clothing, the biggest difference was in his message. Instead of working the crowd with his party vibe, he provided them with religious passages. Repent and Jesus Saves were his early favorites, but it was a specific Bible verse that would eventually dominate. John 3.16 God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. His hope was that people would be curious enough about the cryptic message to open a Bible and find out for themselves. He wanted to help save as many people as possible before the end of the world as we know it. Roland was convinced that the end was nigh and estimated that he had until the year 1992 to spread the word. For the next 10 years, much to the disdain of the network broadcasters, Roland Stewart tripled his efforts. In a single year, the now self-ordained minister drove over 60,000 miles, making appearances at over 30 televised golf tournaments, the NBA championship games, and the NFL playoffs, to name just a few. Assisted by donations from his church, he was averaging over 12 events a month around the world. 
1981, he was spotted in London, under the balcony where Prince Charles and Diana waved to the crowd, moments after getting married. He attended both the Republican and Democratic National Conventions in 1984. He headed to Canada for the 1988 Winter Olympics. He popped up at the World Series, the Stanley Cup, and the World Cup Championships. Rainbow Man was everywhere. He has become somewhat of a celebrity. Other than that, we don't know a whole lot about the guy. He travels around the country, uh, going from uh, place to place, uh, and just shows up at uh, major events. His strategy had worked, and had worked really well. The airtime, usually lasting only a few seconds, was all Roland needed to be seen by billions of viewers around the world. To the networks, he had become an absolute nuisance, and after years of video bombing camera shots, broadcast directors and producers wanted to kill him. That's not an exaggeration. I know directors who threatened to kill the guy in their anger in the truck because he would get in behind uh, very dramatic shots and the eye, as you watch the screen, would be attracted immediately to this wacko wearing a rainbow-colored wig, holding up the sign, that said John 316. Please don't show him. Please. I mean, I would beg in the truck. I, I would, you know, I would talk to the camera guys after the show, before the show. And I said, you know, guys, you know, please, if you want to work next week, I mean, it was a threat. Please don't show Rainbow. As the 1980s ended, and according to Roland Stewart, the end of the world drew closer, his behavior became increasingly erratic and aggressive. His mood swings were unpredictable, and his performances became stranger and more manic than usual. He was known to push people out of their seats in order to get within the camera's view. At the 1986 World Series in New York, Roland's then fourth wife was holding a large John 316 sign. She misjudged where the cameras would go, and missed the opportunity to be seen on TV. Roland saw what happened and became enraged. He began choking her right there in the stands at Shea Stadium. She filed for divorce in 1990. As his behavior became more intense and intrusive, security officers began forcibly removing him from various stadiums. Roland actually enjoyed being dragged out, kicking and screaming. He thought it drew more attention to his message. And it kind of did. The sketch comedy show, Saturday Night Live, featured a parody of Rainbow Man in 1990. The character, called Rainbow Head, was played by actor Christopher Walken. Some of you know him well, others don't know him at all. <laughs> so let's please welcome Rainbow Head. Rainbow Head. Yeah. Hi. Hello. 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 Rainbow, Rainbow Head. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Now, for 
for those who do not know you, you are not a clown. You're one of those people who puts on a funny mask or a silly wig and you go to you go to football games and wave to us on TV, don't you? You're so much fun. Oh, I just love you guys. Yeah. 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 Well, actually, I was the very first to create this form of fan expression. Mm -hmm. you, you gave were a birth pioneer. to the phenomenon, you didn't you? Yeah. To be yeah. honest, I yeah. rather resent yeah. being lumped together with those other guys. Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. You were sorry. a pioneer. Yeah. You've got yeah. people in the stands uh, painting their torsos and shaving their heads. It's getting ridiculous. <laughs> they turned it into some kind of freak show. Mm -hmm. But you were a pioneer. Right. You were a pioneer. Yeah, rainbow, rainbow head. head. <laughs> now, how did it start? How yeah. did this whole yeah. rainbow look happen? I, I wanted to get the camera's attention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I figured, uh, what if I wore a multicolored Afro wig? Saturday Night Live wasn't the only show to highlight Rainbow Man's curious but colorful place in popular culture. In an episode of the long-running animated series, The Simpsons, he was immortalized with his own cartoon character. The episode, called Stark Raving Dad, first aired in 1991 and shows Rainbow Man in his famous wig holding a John 316 sign above his head. Charles Schultz, creator of Charlie Brown, even sketched Rainbow Man in one of his Peanuts comic strip. He was referenced in dozens of publications like Sports Illustrated, Pro Football Weekly, and the Miami Herald. He made it into the late-night routines of everyone from Johnny Carson to The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Stephen Colbert even donned the colorful wig during a segment of The Colbert Report. But the fame Roland so desperately craved before his religious epiphany was now frustrating him. As far as he was concerned, no one was taking his message of salvation seriously. The wig was getting him attention, but it was overshadowing his soul-saving mission. For his message to really be heard, he would need to take things to another level. He was convinced that his mission was important enough that God would allow him to do whatever was necessary. So, at the 1991 Masters Golf Tournament in Augusta, Georgia, as Jack Nicholas was about to swing, he unleashed an air horn from the sidelines. At a moment when you would normally hear a pin drop, the air horn might as well have been a cannon. To make matters worse, moments after the air horn cracked the silence, Roland detonated several stink bombs. The smelly devices are typically packed with ammonium sulfide, and while they're relatively harmless, when detonated, the unmistakable smell of rotten eggs can be overwhelming. No one was injured in the Augusta incident, but sheriff's deputies took Roland into custody for questioning. When the tournament officials decided not to press charges, he was released. Not long after that stunt almost saw him jailed, Rainbow Man popped up at the Kentucky Derby in Louisville. Then it was off to Atlantic City, New Jersey for the George Foreman versus Evander Holyfield fight the boxing match was being called the Battle of the Ages and was watched by an estimated 1.5 million viewers at home and another 19,000 in attendance. At that event, Roland detonated two more devices. One device was a box of fireworks that was triggered remotely. Investigators said that the other device was similar, 
It had been mistakenly thrown down a sewer drain, effectively destroying the evidence. No one was ever charged in the incident. That was in April 1991. Shortly after that, a similar device was found at a televised bowling tournament in Connecticut. A few weeks later, on the other side of the country, the district attorney in Orange County, California, issued a warrant for Roland's arrest. He was being charged with four felony counts for a series of stink bomb attacks. The targets had been a Christian bookstore, a Christian television broadcaster, and the publisher of a daily newspaper. Investigators confirmed that the electronic components used in the East and West Coast incidents were identical. A year earlier, at the 1990 American Music Awards in Los Angeles, Roland was arrested for disturbing the peace. According to police, he was yelling, God thinks this stinks, while trying to hit audience members with skunk glands. Authorities in Orange County were unable to locate Roland after the arrest warrant was issued. That made him a fugitive. With no fixed address and constantly on the move, investigators began coordinating with law enforcement agencies across the U.S. They also contacted the television networks, hoping he might be spotted at an event. Authorities also noted that Roland Stewart was most likely armed and considered dangerous. They had received information that he had purchased a firearm, and given his increasingly volatile behavior, were concerned that he might do something more serious. They were right to be worried. On the morning of Tuesday, September 22, 1992, Roland drove around LA and eventually picked up two day laborers with the promise of work. He drove them to a hotel near the Los Angeles International Airport. He had already booked a room on the seventh floor, so they headed directly to the elevator and went up. When they arrived at room number 718, Roland led them inside and took out the handgun. The men took off before Roland could react. Roland had devised a plan to get his message out, but it would take extreme measures to make it work. Standing in the doorway of the hotel room, Roland was watching the two men disappear down the hallway, so he didn't notice the hotel employee who had been cleaning the room. She, on the other hand, noticed him immediately and quickly realized she was in trouble. The hotel employee ran to the bathroom and locked herself inside. Roland then used a hammer to nail the bathroom door shut. He did the same thing to the main door. He and his hostage were now securely barricaded inside the room. From a phone inside the locked bathroom, the terrified housekeeper notified hotel staff who contacted police. Within minutes, the hotel was surrounded and the SWAT team had begun evacuating the nearly 400 hotel guests. Police have cordoned off the entire hotel behind me. A hotel employee was taken hostage. Now, what's interesting is the hostage is the one who called 911 for help. A lot of questions. They've not released the identity of this man. So this is going to be a very long investigation and a lot of questions police trying to answer. From the ground, witnesses could see brightly colored signs that had been taped to the windows of room 718. The messages included the usual John 3.16, but they also included passages about Judgment Day. Roland was convinced that the fiery end would come in the next six days. 
When hostage negotiators made contact, he told them that he had a bomb. His main demand was a press conference where he could warn people about the impending apocalypse. This is my last hurrah. No one gets hurt. The media gets the message. They present it, and then it's over. As the hours wore on with no sign of a camera crew, a stoned and frustrated Roland began tossing stink bombs at authorities and yelling threats. He told negotiators that he would harm the hostage if they didn't get him what he wanted. I just want to share what the hell the Lord said so that people would have a chance to consider it. In a fit of desperation, he then said he would start shooting at the low-flying planes coming in and out of the busy nearby LAX airport. With the possibility of extreme violence to consider, police decided it was time to end it by force. Officers from the SWAT team used a battering ram to smash through the hotel room door. Before Roland could move, he was incapacitated by the blast from concussion grenades exploding at his feet. When he came to his senses, his hostage had been rescued, and he was in handcuffs. The hostage standoff lasted almost nine hours, and thankfully, no one was seriously injured. Well, it's just kind of a big, long process, but eventually police officers barged into that hotel room, and now things are back to normal. At this point, we don't even know how that man and woman knew one another, or if they knew one another, and the uh, good news coming out of this is that no one was hurt throughout this entire situation. As he was being driven away in the back of a police car, he told reporters that it was all about spreading his message. Why did you do it? Get the word out for Jesus Christ. Why did you get the end of the age? His bail was set at $300,000, an amount prosecutors argued was too little. Back in the hotel room, authorities found the fun, colorful wig that had brought joy to so many fans over the years. They also found a semi-automatic handgun, with a bullet loaded in the chamber. Next to that, there were two full clips of ammunition, along with a box of extra rounds. Containers of various chemicals were also discovered, thought to be used to make the stink bombs. There was enough food in the room to last several days, and enough weed to last a month. All evidence prosecutors would later use to show that Roland Stewart had been planning to hold out much longer with police. More time, they said, to get his message out. In July 1993, Roland Stewart was found guilty on three counts of hostage-taking and five other counts, including making terrorist threats. Before going to trial, he was offered a plea deal that would have given him a 12-year sentence, but he turned it down. Instead, he was going to use his day in court as another opportunity to get the word out. At sentencing, he told the judge, quote, I feel I have a right to speak. All I'm trying to do is make a statement about the end of the world. Deputies then dragged him out of the courtroom, kicking and screaming. Each count of hostage-taking carried with it a maximum sentence of life in prison. 
showing no remorse, regret, or sympathy for the lives he endangered. The judge gave him three life sentences. After he was convicted, he immediately went on trial for the series of stink bomb attacks in Orange County, California. He was found guilty on those charges too. Today, the 76-year-old former pot-growing, drag racer, shop owner, actor, rainbow wig-wearing, pseudo-celebrity, self-ordained minister, is an inmate at the Mule Creek State Prison in California. Roland Stewart has appeared before several parole review boards over the last 30 years of his incarceration, but he still believes that what he did was justified. He openly admits that he would do it again, leaving officials with little choice but to leave him locked up. I'm somewhat sorry for what I did, that I prematurely did it at the wrong time in, in history. I jumped the gun. I wasn't, it wasn't to be done at that time. No one was hurt, no shots were fired, and uh, I'm being punished. I got three life sentences for that. His most recent parole review was in 2017. It went as expected. For nearly 15 years, Roland Stewart was present for some of the greatest moments in sports. But as he danced and played for the cameras, those moments went completely unnoticed. Whether it was chasing fame or warning the world of its doom, he had no interest in the action happening all around him. The most recognizable sports fanatic of a generation once told a reporter, quote, People who go to sporting events are like the Romans who went to watch the lions eat the Christians. As far as his unique approach went, Roland admitted that he was a strange and unusual vessel. Thirty years after Rainbow Man last appeared at an event wearing his signature wig and carrying the John 316 sign, his message is still alive. At a championship football game in 2009, when player Tim Tebow painted John 316 under his eyes, an estimated 90 million people looked it up online. Next time you buy a drink at an In-N-Out, take a peek underneath the cup. It's there, John 316. It's also on the bottom of every shopping bag from retailer Forever 21. There are a few evangelists that have continued Roland Stewart's mission as well. They've modeled their approach on his simple yet effective strategy of just showing up. If you look around a stadium, you're bound to see the Bible reference on a sign or two. No one will ever pull off the rainbow wig and loincloth combo the way Rainbow Man did, and thankfully, no one has since tried. In a sense, it's a sad story, but in a sense, it's a glorious story. It's, a, it's, it's the, probably the most magnificent story in the world. A huge thanks for listening. True is a production of Imperative Entertainment. This episode of True was researched and written by me. The executive producer is Jason Hoke of Imperative Entertainment. Cover art and design was created by Jenna Sullivan. True was created and is produced by me. Comments? Questions? 
get a hold of us at podcasts at imperativeentertainment.com. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.